So from working at Cumulus, I started making cheese for all the restaurants at, at Marion on a Monday and Tuesday, which was an amazing experience, you know, it was very much self-taught. Yeah, there was no limit or no uh, ceiling, I suppose, to what I, could, what I could do with Andrew. It was always thinking about like, what's next? What do you want to do? Today on Dirty Linen, we are talking to somebody who's had, is this the right way to describe it? A very interesting pandemic. His name is Colin Wood. I first encountered him when he was working with Andrew McConnell uh, at Cumulus, Cumulus restaurants in the city. And uh, I guess it was probably when Colin was working there that he really started diving deep into the world of cheese. Um, Colin, welcome to Dirty Linen. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to chat to you. Um, I have to say, I don't really know much about you, but I love... Um, the energy that you bring to the food that you make and also the stuff that you put out on Instagram, I guess you seem really thoughtful and really focused. And I just think, and cheese is so endlessly fascinating. So yeah, I just want to say, I'm really looking forward to finding out more about you in this chat. Cool. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> so tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, um, like you said, I, first encountered you working with Andrew at Cumulus Inc. Um, prior to that, I'm, I'm a Perth boy, so I grew up in Western Australia. Um, the pathway for my cooking career um, was not that I was a big fan of food and ingredients and grew up around that sort of thing. Uh, I was an elite athlete, so food for me was sustenance and it was about performance for me really, so excelling and um, doing the best that I could. So it wasn't until a, f a serious back injury uh, ended my Olympic dreams that I kind of was lost and didn't know what I wanted to do in life. Um, but I had a, an immigrant grandmother who used to cook for us regularly from her garden out in Bassendine. Um, and by chance, one of my best friends at the time's brother was a chef. So I went into a kitchen with him and it was just that familiarity of a team environment, uh, very disciplined, very focused. It really resonated with me. And I think that's how I fell in love with kitchens to begin with. Um, and then it wasn't until I started working with Andrew some 10 years later that I realized I really enjoyed the cooking aspect and creating and understanding ingredients and really focusing on um, the quality and yeah, really highlighting, you know, farmers and artisans and things like that, which probably led to my focus with cheese and really delving into that as well. Well, you are already full of surprises. So <laughs> what sort of athlete were you? I was a gymnast. So I trained Really? That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. So what from, did you specialize in? Uh, my specialty was the pommel horse. Wow. Yeah. So I trained from, I think I started gymnastics when I was four and I trained up until I was 16. So I was training towards the end there or like when I became an elite athlete, I was up to training up to six hours a day and going to school for six hours a day. So that long period of, you know, waking up at 5.30 in the morning, going to training, going to school, going back to training. And I think that's really resonated with me in kitchen environments because it was such a long, arduous day, but you had to be focused for the majority of it. So I think that's what really resonated with me at well, as well at the time. Pommel horse is so, uh, I mean, the thing that strikes me about pommel horse is 
the actual performance is so quick. It is. I think with pommel horse as well, it's about the rhythm. And I'm not saying I'm a good dancer, but it, it is very much that one, two, one, two movement. And I feel that now that I'm talking out loud to you about it, I haven't really spoken to many people about this, but you know that there is the rhythm in the kitchen as well. You know, it's that constant, that beat of like we got to keep moving. So I think that kind of resonates with me as well because the pommel horse is very similar. If you fall out of step, you're going to fall off. Hmm. And you said you had a back injury. Did you sustain that injury while training or what happened? Yeah, it was a, um, a, a weird injury. Uh, it was a stress fracture in, I think, my L4 and L5 vertebrae, which led to me, I, had to, I couldn't train for six months. And by that stage, it was pretty much, I was 16, everyone else had got quite ahead of me and I just, I just kind of fell out of love with it. That must have been... A really full-on period. It was, and you know, it's only recently that I've kind of reliving. I wouldn't. I mean, I don't think it was trauma, but you know, like my whole life, I'd planned to become an elite athlete and really push myself in that field, and then this happened, and I just kind of got really lost. Um, which Olympics were you aiming at? Uh, that would have been two thousand or two thousand and four. Yeah. Right. Wow. Yeah. Um. I mean, a lot of people get a bit lost and find their way to kitchens. And mm-hmm. it's, um, I mean, did you, is, did it feel like you could find yourself there? I definitely. Like I said, you know, the, the environment of the discipline, the focus, the long hours, those sorts of things really resonated with me um, in the beginning and the early stages. Um, and then, yeah, it just became more about the food and, and understanding, you know, what what I was actually doing. But for generally, for the first first few years, it was definitely just about the, the fitting in and, you know, not being bored and, I suppose, having having have a sense of purpose. It did and did you just totally put all that that gymnastics behind you? Um. I did in those early, the early few years, definitely. I didn't talk about it much. Um, no one really knew. Um, it's probably when I moved to Melbourne, I started to think about it a bit more as well. Um, you know, people asked my background, and I and I also I was quite proud of it as well. Um, when people asked me, I, you know, I was pretty open and honest about it. So. And I've had my moments, you know, here and there, like when I tell people, like they get really excited and yeah, I think it is something that I should probably, I've often thought about going back into it, I'm like, oh, I'm a bit old for that now, but, you know, I do enjoy still um, the exercise and I suppose the the wanting to push yourself. Mm. I mean, Jim's not like, you know, like, Oh, cricket where you can just stand in the outfield and just, you know, feel like you're connected with this thing you used to do. It's like you can't just suddenly just, like, approach the pommel, can you? Exactly. And, you know, it, it, you can get seriously hurt doing it too. So I think in my younger years I didn't really have that fear of, you know, if I do this wrong I'm going to hurt myself. Um, and having a real trust in, in coaches and people around me I think was a real big thing that I took from it as well. You know, if someone's telling you to do something a certain way, you do it that way because if you don't, you're really going to hurt yourself. Um, 
So there was a lot of trust involved in it as well. Um, little, a lot of close relationships with the coaches and things like that. Um, but yeah, these days I prefer just to do the, the basic exercises rather than doing those things. Yeah, sure. Yeah. But that's interesting, that sort of trust in leadership, because, I mean, that's a massive part of the hospitality industry as well. Um, and I guess that, in some cases, that blind trust where people just do things because that's what the boss says or that's just what everyone everyone says has to be done. I mean, did you find some sort of analogies in the hospitality industry in that sense? Absolutely. I think in my early in the first, my very first cooking job, I absolutely didn't. Um, I was only there for a few months and I was really, uh, it was very aggressive, very macho, very bro, like a lot of older men at the past yelling and that kind of, it didn't, it didn't resonate with me because I hadn't built that trust, like you're saying. It wasn't until probably, I think my third cooking job where someone really invested some time and talk to me and, and I really built that trust up that I became comfortable with it. And I think you're absolutely right. Like you, when, when someone in a leadership role can build that trust and be open and vulnerable, it really changed the dynamic. Um, with my coaches, I have, I think I had, I think I've had four good ones in my career in gymnastics and I still talk to them here and there. But yeah, it was, it was all very much about building that trust and having that trust in them and them also believing in me, which I think was really something upon reflection that something that really changed that dynamic there and, and I would listen to them, yeah. Mm. Um, and I'm really interested in this transition from, you know, uh, your work in hospitality being more about the culture and the structure to becoming more excited about food. Was there was there a moment or was it a slow creep? Like, how did that happen? Um, I was definitely working for Andrew at, um, at Keen Ellis when um, just seeing, like, farmers and things walk in the door with crates of vegetables. Um, yeah, he, he had a really strong relationship with a farmer called Andrew Wood who has a Glenora farm down there. And it was when Kimlis had pretty much first opened. We had a really talented bunch of cooks in there, some of which have gone on to do some amazing things around the world. And just the look on everyone's faces. Um, it would be a Saturday usually in the middle of a busy service that he'd walk through the door <laughs> with his partner, Jill. And it was just, everyone would stop and the whole marble bar would be like amazed at like seeing what was happening, all this dirt flying everywhere all these amazing vegetables and just tasting them, it just really changed my whole dynamic. Like I was like, wow, this is, this is what cooking is and this is what we should be striving for. Wow, that is amazing. So, I mean, what kind of vegetables would he bring in? Oh, his tomatoes were amazing. It was probably the first time I'd ever worked with heirloom tomatoes and Andrew was still very hands-on in those days. It was Cumulus had just opened. So sitting down with him and him telling me how to ripen the tomatoes, how to look after them, it's still very vivid in my memory of like him taking that time to show me. Wow. Um, and like sticking them in the windows and like using them not only as an ingredient, but like uh, as a centerpiece around the restaurant. You know, someone's done this amazing job with this tomato. Let's talk about it. So it was really... It really changed that dynamic for me when someone talked about produce like that. Yeah, wow. Um, and I mean, what what where's the next step? What should we should we talk about cheese, or is there like is is there other stuff that you want to talk about about that period? Um, 
Well, I think working for Andrew really opened my eyes up to a lot of things, the way that he invested time in all his cooks and his chefs, teaching us about not only ingredients, but lots of things. I've been thinking about the last few days, you know, he used to send us to, to management courses to talk about how to train people, how to bring people into the businesses. Like we would go to the school of life and learn how to hold a conversation and all these sorts of life skills that um, you, you never, I'd never heard of in a kitchen. So I think it was something upon reflection, just thinking back on all these opportunities that he provided us and others um, just really changed the way I thought about operating and working in a kitchen, you know, looking back on that, that very first experience of just this aggressive, no one showing you anything to, to what he showed me and others was possible about people and, you know, relationships. I think it was something that was really important. Wow. I mean, that is really, really, really amazing and so striking and, and life-changing. I mean, if you think about the difference that you can make in somebody's life by opening them up to um, to people and ideas in that way, that's that's really, really telling and, and goes some way to explaining why those Andrew McConnell restaurants have been such extraordinary talent incubators and have sent people who not only have culinary skills but management skills and, and I suppose a, uh, a really interesting outlook on the industry and life in general out into, yeah, out into the world. Really amazing. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, there, there was some, some tough moments in those businesses as well and a lot of things that I learnt and saw that, you know, not only I was part of but saw happen as well. Like I think it being exposed to that and seeing it all and it wasn't until I, I met my wife, Andrea, that really probably changed my perspective even more on a lot of things. Um, she was working at Cumulus at the time and we met um, and she works in mental health and studying, uh, she was studying psychology at the time and now is working in social work. But just being able to, to talk to her about a lot of things has really opened my mind up to like what what how how we can even take that step a step further to really you know change the way that kitchens are operated and it's not about just a plate of food it's like you know looking after each other and caring for each other and making sure that everyone feels comfortable in those spaces mm. well what kinds of things are you talking about um, we know, like I was saying, we, with working with Andrew, like um, inductions and, and planning for people's success and futures, I think, is a big thing. Um, you know, if you look at, I don't want to talk about the corporate world, but a lot of people, you know, we all have goals and ambitions. And I think if, if you're in charge of someone, this, is, this goes back to Andrew as well and probably leads into the cheese conversation, but he really recognised that I had an interest in cheese probably pretty early on in my cheese career. And he talked to me a lot about it. Um, so did the general managers and other people in those businesses at the time. And he really fostered that. And that's probably the next step of how I got further in the cheese world. They saw that I wanted to do that. And rather than shutting it down and just being like, no, you're a chef, you gotta, you got to run the kitchen. It was more about Okay, how do we how do we make a role for this person so they can continue to grow and do what they are passionate about? So from working at Cumulus, 
I started making cheese for all the restaurants at, at Marion on a Monday and Tuesday, um, which was an amazing experience, you know. It was very much self-taught, like uh, my good friend Richard Thomas, who's a good friend of yours too, was heavily involved in that, and he was the one that sparked my passion for cheese. But, um, yeah, there was no limit or no uh, ceiling, I suppose, to what I could what I could do with Andrew. It was always thinking about, like, what's next? What do you want to do? Um, which I'd never really been exposed to in a kitchen before. It was like, oh, there's a junior sous chef position here. You're the junior sous chef. And it was, there's no training or, like, mentoring or, like, how, how you want that person to behave in that role. It was more about, okay, this person needs, we need a sous chef and this person is here, let's just promote them rather than teaching them and training them the steps of like empathy and understanding and how they develop the team below them. Whereas Andrew's businesses really did that really well. Um, and yeah, with Andrew's influence, learning about how to communicate properly, how to talk to people and how to have compassion and being vulnerable. I think she really taught me that, which I'd never really been exposed to before. And, you know, now I'm quite comfortable talking about experiences and things. Mm. What is it about cheese that drew you in? Uh, the, the romance, I suppose. Um, yeah, Richard... I think Richard's passion and excitement for, for cheese was something that really resonated with me. Um, working at those businesses for so long and seeing all those ingredients and things like that, we weren't really exposed to cheese. And then when um, someone like Richard could come in and talk about cheese in a way that I'd never really been exposed to before, it really... Um, opened my eyes up. I was like, okay, what's this? I've never really heard of cheese in Australia. Then he came in and showed us how to make some cheese. And from there, it just blossomed. I was like, wow, this, seeing something from a very basic raw ingredient to becoming something that is delicious, nutritious, and and really has such a rich history. I I think that's what really resonated with me. And I I was fascinated from there. I mean, Richard Thomas, for people who don't know, is one of, well, he's like the pioneer of artisan cheese making in Australia, we could probably say. Definitely, yeah. Um, and definitely a, a pretty magnetic character and, um, yeah, someone who really can explain or I guess is, lives the romance of cheese, but, mm. yeah, would, would have been, well, would, would be a very inspiring person to, to learn from. Um, so, Colin... Tell us, let's let's check in about what's happened over the past year. You, at the beginning of the pandemic, you were flying high in New York, right? Yes. yes. Tell us what you were doing there. So um, after I'd worked for Andrew for 10 years, um, a good friend of mine, Sam Lawrence, who's who, who started his apprenticeship at Cutler & Co with uh, JP and Andrew, um, was landed in a job in New York and he was cooking at Estella, which is one of Ignacio Matos's restaurants. And he randomly texted me and said, do you know anyone that wants to come to New York? Um, by that stage, I was like, yeah, me. Like, why not? <laughs> so we got in touch and Ignacio was opening um, his third restaurant, Flora Bar, which was on the Upper East Side in New York, in Manhattan. Uh, we got talking 
Um, and then he offered me a role to come over. So I think I landed maybe two, it was probably about six months after the restaurant had opened. And uh, I worked closely with the head chef there at the time, uh, Jake. Um, after about six months, Ignacio promoted me into a role similar to what I was doing with uh, Andrew before I left. So I was the culinary director. Um, overseeing his three restaurants and just generally being his right-hand man and trying to figure out a lot of structural things that um, he wanted to implement and everyone wanted to implement um, in terms of what I'd done with Andrew. So it was a lot of fun. It was very busy. Um, it's an amazing city. So many uh, friendly, fun um, people and places to visit. Um, yeah, I, it's... It, now that I think about my time there, like we've been talking about a lot at home and just how we, how much we miss it and the people. Um, but yeah, it was a very exciting time, um, but my visa was running out and my wife wanted to go back to study. So we decided to come back to Australia and that's when the pandemic happened. So I think we left New York maybe about three days after their first case. Wow, okay. Yeah. And then, uh, so we had plans to move back to Melbourne we came back to Sydney to visit um, her parents. I went to Perth. She went to Melbourne to study. And then it got locked down. So she was separated, I think, for about six months. And then, that's, um, oh, yeah. <laughs> that's terrible. Oh, that's, it's fine. Danny. now that we think back on it, like, you know, there's a lot more worse situations for people. And you guys have been through so much there as well. So, yeah, we really... We're really grateful for the opportunities that we had. Um, yeah, we can't even imagine being what you guys went through in Melbourne. But yeah, once that we, we were able to get her Perth, she came to Perth. So she was able to remotely study. And then, um, yeah, since I've been, was in Perth, um, reconnected with a few friends and um, an old apprentice actually who worked for Andrew at Luxembourg got in touch with me and asked me to do some consulting at his restaurant, which was a lot of fun working with a young team who really, um, really wanted some help and guidance. And it was a lot of fun hanging out with them. Um, I cooked a couple of dinners with them as well, which was a lot of fun. I mean, it must've been so different. I mean, I mean, obviously if you'd stayed in New York, you would not have been the culinary, culinary director for three exciting restaurants that were buzzing with people every night. Well, um, no. I mean, it's it's devastating to think about what New York is still going through. So many restaurants have um, bit the dust, like so many iconic restaurants won't reopen. I just mm. can't even, I can't even imagine what that city is going to be like and how it's going to recover. It's it's really devastating. It is. Um, but, like, I still have a lot of contact with Sam and we talk daily almost just via text and it's such a resilient city and such a hardworking and caring community of people that want that city to, to thrive. So, you know, they're, they're a way to adapt, um, uh, to pivot and to just come up with creative ideas like you and Ben did at the Attica thing. Like the, the stuff they're doing over there is just phenomenal. Like, wow, like they're able to do, you know, they've built tent lands and they've built all this sort of stuff to, to keep businesses going. Um, yeah, I think it's a true testament to the character of that city and the people there. Mm. It 
so I mean, it must have been so such a huge change of pace for you to return from New York to Perth. I mean, you, you mentioned some of the things that you had going on there. You obviously didn't sit still, but um, was that? And you, I mean, you hadn't lived in Perth for so long. I mean, yeah, yeah. What were the challenges of of that change of pace and location? Um. I think I'm able to reflect on it now. At the time, it was when we fir- when I first arrived. It was a breath of fresh air. I was like, okay, I can slow down a little bit. Um, and I'd I'd only originally been there, uh, planned to be there for two weeks, so I didn't really have any sort of aspirations or anything to to you know immerse myself in the community and and figure out what was next. So I think for the first month it was okay, this is happening, and then it got kind of serious. I was like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And like I said, the guys at Madalena's asked if I wanted to help, so that kept me busy for a while. And then it was, I was living with my mum at the time, so it was just the two of us. And like you said, I haven't spent, I think the most I'd spent previously in Perth before, that was probably a week and a half. So it was a really great time for me to reconnect with my mum. Um and spend a lot of time with her talking about things, talking about growing up. Um, and then I started making cheese at home for with her, or not with her at the start, but I was making cheese at home and just experimenting. And then, yeah, she had a really great kitchen and I just started like going to the markets and, and getting involved with produce and meeting people and just cooking things at home that, I really hadn't had an opportunity to to do in my career previously, you know, without the pressures of a service or having to meet with someone, do an interview, uh, recruit someone, whatever it was, it was just about cooking and it became a lot of fun. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, Yeah, then when Andrea got there, I was cooking a little bit more. I ended up breaking mum's oven and stove, so we had to get her a new one. And that, yeah, it was just just a lot of fun. Um, I think s- sometimes it probably wasn't so much fun for them because they were like, "Oh my god, this this guy's a maniac and there's dishes and things everywhere." But yeah, like I said, I didn't like sitting still, so I did that, and then I started making um, some cheese for a restaurant there, uh, and they really got on board and were really excited. So it was nice to feel part of the, the restaurant community again just supplying some cheese and doing some different things. Um, and then I fractured my knee, unfortunately. Similar injury to my back. But I, oh. don't know, I don't know how I did it, but I wasn't able to work or do anything for five months. Oh, my God. Yeah. So I was pretty much forced to slow down and sit down a bit more, which my wife, Andrew, will tell you I didn't do. But <laughs> I like to think I rested a little bit more than I usually do. Um so, yeah, I just kind of had a lot of time to think about things from my my past and my history and how I wanted to kind of move forward with what I'd, what I'd been doing. And I think that really involves cheese and, and what I want to do next um, would, would heavily involve cheese. Uh, I don't know whether it's going to be a restaurant setting or a manufacturer, but it was just so much fun to be able to... I, I worked, um, I, I was introduced to a small cafe over there called Jijaxo. And they're this little artisan bakery cafe. I think they have three sites plus like a commissier kitchen where everything is prepped and then brought in. 
and I just got really friendly with them because they were sourcing milk from a small farmer just outside of Perth. But just their passion and excitement for, for wanting to create change in the industry, whether it was about, they're, they're kind of, they're not zero waste, but there's no plastic in any of their kitchens. Everything's a glass bottle. They have this massive 100 litre vat that sits on top of a coffee machine and it pours the milk straight from there into the frother. So there's no glass, there's no plastic. And I just got really friendly with them and they're such a nice, caring bunch of people that I sparked up a relationship and they would, I would buy 20 litres of milk every Tuesday and Friday from them. They would call me, tell me when the milk was on the way. Yeah, it just became a lot of fun um, making cheese like that and I made a lot of friends in Perth handing out cheese, which was, which was fun. <laughs> yeah, it's a good way to make friends. Yeah, it's a really good way to make friends. Um, that's so inspiring just thinking about that milk hopper because, I mean, that is such a visible change to how things are normally done that I just think there is so much in, you know, in society widely when, you, when it comes to sustainability and culture. It's just like, well, this is just how things are. This is how they've been done. But something so simple as how you change the way that milk is um, put through, put into a coffee. I mean, that is, you know, that's just like those little revolutions that we need everywhere, right? Absolutely, you know, and it also cut down on the amount of milk that they were wasting on each froth because they were able to control it a little bit more, you know, you're not pouring it. So all these little things and they were constantly thinking about how to, how to make a difference and how to uh, do things differently. And I think, I think they've inspired two other cafes now to, to do the same thing in Perth and they've supplied them with all the information. So it's not about an ego or an experiment or fame for them. It's about like, let's just change the way that things are done. And I think you're dead right. Like one thing I uh, experienced in Perth was that, you know, well, that's the way it's always been done. And it's like, yeah, but we can continually evolve and, you know, just think about those little things each and every time. It makes a huge difference. Mm. So Colin, you're in Sydney now. I'd love to know why you're there and also you've spoken about, you know, this reflecting that you've done and the way that it's made you think and and think about the kind of change that you want to see and create. Can you tell me about, you know, what's next? Yeah, I mean, we had big plans of staying in Western Australia. We talked about it quite a bit. Um, obviously, my family are there and have lots of beautiful um, nephews and nieces now. So we wanted to stay to be close to them um, and we wanted to move rural. So we did and we kind of had a pretty bad experience uh, when we did that and it kind of really shook up our whole world. And we were like, well, what do we do next? Like we're, we're both unemployed, borderline homeless and kind of like, what are we going to do next? What do you mean a bad experience? Um, well, I accepted a role, well, a position, um, and it, it just didn't, yeah, it was, it was pretty horrible, Danny, to be honest. Like, the, just the way that it all went down, um, you know, I think about those things that I was talking about before, like being prepared, you know, making sure that staff feel welcome, making staff aware of their roles, their responsibilities, giving someone a bit of a, a development leg up and um, just being open and honest. And, yeah, it didn't really go that way for me there. And, yeah, it was... It was quite hard mentally to take. 
Um, I don't want to talk about it too much because... Sure. Yeah, it was just really, 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 really unexpected and, um, yeah, just I kind of, kind of shattered us, to be honest. Wow. Um, so, yeah, we, we, I remember one night after it all went down, we were sitting in a pub really, really sad and upset and, like, what, what are we going to do next? Um, and then we were lucky to get out of where we were and spend a night with some friends and try and decompress the situation and talk about it, be vulnerable, all those sorts of things. And it was a really big breath of fresh air and then Perth went into lockdown the next day. So we had to rush back up to Perth, um, otherwise we'd get locked out. And we, we got back in with my mum and I think we were locked in for about five days and during that time it really, yeah, it was a really hard time for us to think about, okay, we, we'd gone from Melbourne to New York and then we had these big plans and then it was kind of all just faded away. Um, but my, my wife's family lived in Sydney and I'd always, well, I mean, when we first got back from New York, it was we wanted to come to the East Coast. So it was just like, well, let's have a, a clean break. Let's get some fresh air between us and what happened and really start thinking about what we want to do next. Um, and Andrea's uh, social work degree is coming to an end, so she really wants to get her career going. And then um, I've just been talking to a few people in Melbourne and Sydney about things and I think just the way that restaurants and culture here... Um, you know, listening to your podcast and things like that as well. It's just like, I think it's it's really at the forefront of people's minds now, especially after the traumatic experiences of COVID and shutdowns and all these sorts of things. Yeah, I really want to be part of um, a community and, and culture that are, are thinking about, you know, those, those little changes about things that didn't work in the past and how we, how we progress. Mm. Wow, amazing. So... If you could pick a few things that you know you'd like to see improve, what would they be? Um, I think uh, the way, especially what's happening in, with, uh, in Australian society now is how, how the way we treat um, women and minorities um, and being more diverse. I think something I really learnt in New York is it's such a cultural melting pot of people and uh cuisines and things like that being exposed to you know women running kitchens running departments um minorities running kitchens all those sorts of things really it's what made working in kitchens for me exciting i suppose you know learning learning about someone else's culture learning about their history i think now that my career has progressed to learning more about um experiences and being vulnerable it's, it's really important to me you know I resonate it resonates with me because I remember one day in, in New York kitchen we used to have a lot of team meetings which I really really appreciate and I think are a great idea you know, it allows people in the team to, to voice their opinions and their ideas and I think you know one thing I've been speaking to a chef here about you know there's no hierarchy in, in his kitchens which I think is is huge a big step in the right direction you know it gives everyone equal amounts of power and not that's power but you know we can change things if they don't work rather than in previous kitchens where it's just the man at the top tells everyone what to do i think i'd like to see that change 
um, you know, more meetings, more involvement from everyone, everyone having the opportunity to speak. But yeah, to go back, you know, I remember vividly a young work experience kid that came into the kitchens one day and we had a team meeting and the way he spoke, it brought me to tears, Danny, listening to his experiences and how vulnerable he was in that moment. I was like, wow. Um, well, that yeah. was just him introducing himself. Well, and- we, we'd had some things that were pretty heavy that we had to talk about um, okay. in terms of some experiences that had happened. And just his vulnerability in talking just made the whole kitchen's perspective on what we were discussing just change. So I think, like, you know, leading with an open heart versus the clenched fish is, is a way forward. And, like, being, I really want to see that in kitchens, you know, people talking and being okay with listening to that sort of stuff. Um, and also, like, the bro culture, like... Yeah, it's 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 so old school. And yeah, there's no place for it. I think it's it's very outdated and you know, I've I've definitely played a part in it and I've been through those kitchens, I've seen what happens. Like I think it's it's time that we change and you know, start listening to each other and, and how we how we evolve and, and change the, the way that kitchens run. Having said that, like I have seen some really great examples around the world and in Australia, especially in kitchens, like where people are starting to listen and stand up and, you know, through your podcast, like it's, it's amazing that we're able to have these people that are generally not listened to being able to be heard, which I think is great. Yeah, it definitely feels like this is a time and we're certainly seeing it with, you know, the women who are speaking up about um, sexual assault it definitely feels like this is a moment where other people can have a voice. Yeah, definitely. I think I think it's really important that, you know, um, and I think it leads into my next point, which is something else that you and others are really starting to, to take notice of is like, you know, it's not about the three-star fine dining restaurants and who's got the best PR company and all that sort of stuff, like recognising these these small small restaurants that have been around for 30 years that are really doing things their way and they're delicious and fun and, yeah, I think having that really opening up that door to, to di- diversity, not only in the media landscape, but the general public as well, like just going to try that little neighbourhood spot down the road that's been there for 20 years and you've just kept walking past it, like try it. Um, so, yeah I, yeah, I think it's a really exciting, not exciting time. I think that's the wrong word, but it's really eye-opening to, to see the landscape starting to change here because, yeah, it, it happened when I was in New York. A lot of things came out, you know, with the Me Too movement and all these sorts of things. And it just really, I think probably through my wife's influence as well, like I don't know if I'd be sitting here talking to you with her, without her being able to to talk to me and and bring all this stuff out in me. Um, Yeah, I think I'm pretty lucky to have that, but also to have seen what happened in New York and and people being held accountable for for pretty bad behaviour. I guess it's a time, you know, you didn't want to use the word exciting. I guess it's a time of of great potential. Yeah, or reckoning, I think, as well is a good word. Yeah, reckoning is a good word. So reckoning 
and potential and then I suppose the things that can be done with that could be really exciting. Yeah, I, th I think so. And, you know, I don't want to be someone that just spurts out all this sort of stuff. So, like, I think it's, you know, I'm going to have to be part of that change and start listening to people and, and helping and encouraging them on their journeys and and being part of that. Like, okay, well, it's up to you guys. What do you guys want to see change and that sort of thing? But it, like you say, what I've come to Sydney for, like, I hope to do something for myself this time, you know. I've worked with two very revered uh, chefs around the world and I've learnt a lot and I think I'd like to do something next for myself with someone, whatever it may be, to, to really be part of be part of that change as well. And and show that it can be possible, you know. It, it's not about like I say, leading with that clenched fist, like leading with an open heart and having everyone involved and, you know, have their say on how things go. Well, I think the people that you, you bring along with you in that project are really lucky and I guess I also think about you leading with that open heart and learning from them as I'm sure, I'm sure you know, the people that you let in or that, you know, you welcome in will enrich whatever it is that you do. Um but I've just got this image, Colin, of you flying through the air, just like off that <laughs> springboard and uh, over the pommel onto the mat. And just if I think about, the, you know, those twists and turns and, and that, that kid um, in motion and then think about you now, like cutting curds and contemplating, it's just it's been a pretty amazing journey so far, hey? It has been, yeah. And I've been lucky, very lucky to have people support, encourage, inspire me along and you know, ultimately, like, and I'm, I'm very lucky to have had that. But also, you know, there's time to reflect on, you know, things that I could have done better or ways I could have treated people better as well. So I think it's, you know, it's important for me to be, I suppose, recognise that I'm not perfect and I've done things as well. But also, like, you know, I don't want other people to to go through that or make those mistakes. Like, we have to, like you say, one piece at a time. Yeah, well, I mean, we're all human and we're all going to make mistakes and I guess, you know, that it's 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 that it's that quest for I guess open-hearted improvement, yeah, excellence. Um yeah, just just being great in in the fields that you that you choose to devote yourself to. Um Colin, it's an absolute pleasure. I knew this was going to be a good chat. I didn't exactly know why, but it's <laughs> certainly fulfilled my hopes so thank you so much for being so open generous and thoughtful with us I know this this conversation is going to mean a lot to a lot of people thank you it has meant a lot to me as well thanks for having me Danny all right we'll chat soon you take care you make too. some great cheese I will thank you <laughs> see ya bye this is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant we air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.